And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller. And this is episode number 501. 501. We had our 500th anniversary or 500th episode, 500 episodes of G220 Radio last week. And uh, it was a fun, fun program, kind of reminiscing over some of the things from over the last 500 episodes. I mean, there's so many things, obviously, 500 different episodes that we've had that there's Mm -hmm. so many things we could have talked about, but we were able to reminisce about a few things and still cover uh, Galatians 2.20. So that was a very uh, fun program to do. Uh, Now we're getting back to work here. Excuse me. With the 1689 part two in dealing with chapter 26 of the church. Now, we started this series um, a maybe about a month or so ago and then have kind of had some other things in between and did our 500th episode. And now we're back and we're going to be doing this uh, chapter 26. This is the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. We've been going through this series. There are 32 chapters in the uh, the uh London Baptist Confession of Faith. We are on chapter 26. Hopefully we'll end that here tonight. Uh, If not, we'll come back and do a part three for a very short part three. But I think we'll probably get through it tonight. And then we will move on to chapter 27 at some point. Next week we've got Steve Christie coming on. Uh, He is the author of a book, Why Are Protestant Bibles Smaller? Uh, And he's going to come on to talk about the Old Testament, canon, and the Apocrypha. We've also got a couple other uh, individuals lined up for some episodes to come here in G220's near future. And so we, uh, we've got a lot planned, and I'm sure Mike's got a lot of things on his mind that he would like to do some shows on. I've got ideas. Um, Nathaniel just shot me something this morning from an article that he's seen going around. It's the 1517 Project. That's, it's a, a Lutheran article about the fact that uh, it's not a relationship it's a religion um and it's not it's not about a personal relationship with jesus and uh so he was like hey let's do a show on this and i think we're gonna we're gonna cover one on there we're gonna we're gonna talk about it because while i'll just kind of touch on it while i don't like the cliche it's a religion or it's a relationship not a religion uh because we do ascribe to a religion christianity is a religion but there is a personal relationship involved let's not Let's not throw one out because we're trying to correct an error. And I don't want to get into that. That's not our show tonight, but that is something that's possibly coming here in the near future. Mike, what say you? How are we doing, brother? Doing pretty good. I got a fun fact. You ready for it? Let's get it. We are 50.1% away from the thousandth episode. <laughs> that is nice. That is nice. Who knows? So, I mean, I, I think I said... When I start, I don't even remember when I said we started the show last week. I said it goes all the way back, I think, to like 2014, I think. I think it was like 2014 when the first episode of G220 Radio ever aired. And you think about that. Here it is, 2021, 2014. This is seven years of G220 Radio to get to 500 episodes. So it's going to be about another seven years. Uh, should the Lord yeah. tarry before we get to a thousand, unless we start pumping two out a week, but I don't know if I can handle that kind of schedule. I mean, we were pumping out quite a few for a little bit. So, but if you think 52 weeks in a year, so that's 104 every two years. So you're looking at like five years. Yeah. Yeah. Or it'd be it, 10 years. It'd be t- 10 years. Yeah. See? So, so we'd have to add a couple even more even there to get there to make it less than that. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, we are on the 1689 here tonight. We are picking up in paragraph number eight. You know, I was going to share my screen and I forgot to do that. So Mike, why don't you go ahead and preface uh, maybe some of what we've kind of covered or uh, on this chapter. And I'm oh, going to go get this to share it. So we're talking about the church, obviously. And <clears throat> we started kind of how the chapter starts off by... First, talking about the Catholic Church. Now, this is, just to emphasize, small c Catholic, which means universal. What we would tend to say is the universal church, what we would call a universal church. Catholic 
is a better word because it carries not only is it universal but timeless universal we tend to say is more kind of within our time we're catholic adds this kind of infant sense of time so we have a catholic or universal church that's what the confession says um and it may be called invisible and it consists of the whole number of the elect that have been are or shall be gathered into one so the, the creed recognizes that the catholic church is all believers past present and future including old testament saints with christ being the head but not only is there a universal church there's a local church of visible saints that are cleansed and come together and what does it mean um the confession acknowledges that there's no pure church in fact paragraph three the purest church under heaven are subject to mixture and error and that there is this idea of keeping that the church needs to be on guard for false teaching we saw that christ is the head of the church not the pope of rome not this he's not it and that the church has been called to minister the word the spirit and also the um i just forgot it the ordinances and i think we'll touch more about that um more today but that we are to walk in a ways in obedience and that each of these churches this are gathered according to the word. This is chapter paragraph seven. Um, and which is what they would say and kind of the importance is that we gather together, given that the power and authority of his word, which is in, in any way needful for carrying on the order of worship and discipline, which he has instituted for them to observe with commands and rules, dues and rights exerting and, executing its power basically that god has told the church how they are to worship how they're to carry these um what they are what kind of classifies as christian worship yeah and so now we are picking up in paragraph eight like i said i think there is there's 15 paragraphs in this chapter it's a very long one that's why we knew we was not going to be able to cover this in one show um, so let's go ahead and pull this on the screen here. <clears throat> and hopefully you'll be able to see this. Let me bring it up here. We are in paragraph eight, and it says, A particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members, and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church so-called and gathered uh, for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty which uh, <clears throat> which he entrusts them with or calls them to to be continued to the end of the world are bishops or elders and deacons so this is a, a very <clears throat> excuse me my voice i went to cleveland state today I did some preaching outside, no amplification, and so my voice is a little raspy. Uh, so forgive me if I have to constantly take breaks to kind of clear my voice a bit. But I think this is uh, very important because I've seen it in my time. People say that they're called. Mike, I know you've seen it. I think we've all seen it, regardless of what time it is uh, in which we live. But people will say they're called to ministry, and they will appoint themselves to a position uh, start their own church, make themselves a pastor. Um, <clears throat> but that's not what paragraph 8 is saying here. It's a, a particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers or members. And we're talking about elders and deacons, these offices that are within the church. And 
they are appointed by Christ. So there is this internal call that an individual who's appointed as an elder, pastor, uh, will receive this internal call. But then it says to be chosen or Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church. That's the so-called or gathered together, these ones that come together. So you have this internal call, but then you also have this okay. external call where the church, those that are gathered together, that are called out, the called out ones, they recognize that internal call that you may have. They recognize the giftings. They see those things, and they also affirm it. So it's not just this one individual saying, the Lord spoke to me, the Lord told me to become a pastor, teacher, preacher, uh, therefore I'm going to do it. Um, but you also have the church recognizing that. <clears throat> yeah, and that's an important um point to point a point an importance um point they're trying to make there and consider you know we had the discussion a couple weeks ago with um the anglican young man and you know we have there's certain church structures and he's um Mention it. So you start seeing here kind of the Baptist congregationalist um, ecclesiology coming about. But thinking about there are kind of two ways in which that God has given to us to know if someone is called to be a minister. Mm-hmm. And it's not only the internal um, longings of a man, but also being seen inside the church as one who can lead. Right. And I think, and as you mentioned, we don't, we heavily emphasize the spiritual calling. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. God calls people to do things and they they know it. The spirit draws them. But there's also not just this inward call, but that people around you see it. They see your desire to be a pastor, to serve others, to continue to grow and to encourage and to lead people. They look, hopefully, looking at the qualifications of an elder and a deacon, and they recognize the qualities that Paul has laid out for us by the Spirit of who is called to be a pastor or bishop or an elder, elder and bishop, as the creed says here. <clears throat> and that's kind of maybe the more important part where if you just kind of have a call at least I'm not sure if we lost Mike there <clears throat> I think we may have lost him so I think what Mike is is getting into here is this fact that if you have this internal call we have the the protection or the um let me bring mike back in we have the protection and we have the affirmation of this church those within the church recognizing this and it's a safeguard that god gives us because there's many men and even women who say well god called me to be this in this position well, the church is there to be a safeguard to recognize these things so that you're not just putting people into these positions that are unqualified to be there, that don't have the ability to teach, to lead, to exposit the scriptures, uh, to, to, to have those types of giftings. And <clears throat> then you just have uh, problems, which I was teaching, uh, Mike, don't forget wherever you were when you 
um, lost it, but or went out. But uh, I was teaching on the Roman Catholic Church this last week in uh, going over world religions in in uh, our Sunday school class at church. And <clears throat> one of the things while I was studying and preparing for that class that this last week was I was listening to Roman Catholic Church history and how many of these bishops and people that got into these places of power weren't even really believers, but it was family members paying and trying to get people into these positions. Well, that only leads you to problems because you don't have, number one, the call of God, this inward call, and then you don't have the church affirming it. You've got, in that case, it was corrupt, but you have people buying positions to get into it. And <clears throat> I'm sure that still happens today. Uh, maybe it isn't people buying positions, but because it's a family member, oh, this is my my brother or my, my, my son, let me make him the pastor of the church when I'm retiring. And they may not really have that call. It's just, hey, this is my legacy. I'm going to pass it off to my son. And we see problems with that. We see, um, I'm not saying that everyone who has a son that becomes a, uh, a preacher or is a Christian doesn't mean that they're going to be a good pastor or preacher. But I'm saying we see those things still even happen today, like the abuses that were taking place within the Roman Catholic Church. And so this is a, <clears throat> a means by which God has given that inward call and then that outward call that the, the signs that are seen by uh, the local church and I'm kind of rambling a bit there mike go ahead yeah so what part did i get cut off at well you started to talk about the inward call but then you also started to say the important part of the this is this outward uh viewing of the church gathered and then you cut out yeah so you have the inward call but kind of what i was trying to say and i'll say it a lot quicker is that hopefully the people the church those who are gathered are called and gathered see your the fruit of your life in relation to first timothy 3 and titus 1 and what does it mean to be an elder and as you were mentioned that safeguards the church now Arius was a heretic, a pastor of a church. It's not foolproof. People go into heresies. The um, confession has already kind of addressed this early on. But God has given us the criteria to do it, and it, it needs to be both. And, I mean, we can see examples of when this goes wrong i'm trying to see right you know you have judges the stories in judges you have samuel's kids eli's sons and first samuel are priests but they're mm -hmm. for their own gains they're taking the fats the choice meats that are supposed to be given to god and they're taking them from them for themselves had eli done what he was supposed to do, and I think the Bible shows this, is that he was an inept priest, high priest. He should have expelled them and got new priests. So there is that understanding calling, which um, that branches out. But you also notice, and I think this may be a push against the um, Anglicans, that they're called bishops or elders. They're the same in Baptist ecclesiology and right. deacons. You have two, two sets of officers. Now, this is also different than Presbyterianism, which you have ruling elders, teaching elders, and deacons. So the Baptists are kind of pushing and saying, look, we see, we don't see this distinction of teaching elder. Um, Calvin tries to make this distinction in the Institutes. But that there are two offices. You have a bishop or elders or pastors, all three terms. They mean the same thing. Right. And deacons. And now they're given this power to administrate ordinances, to execute the power and duty of the church. Right. To kick, to not kick people out as well, I was going to say, but to excommunicate and to bring back in. Mm -hmm. 
and to make sure the church is remaining faithful to the command. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's an important task, whether you're a paid staff like my pastor is, or you're a lay elder who's also with our pastor as part of our elder board are equal in mm -hmm. leading the church. Right. And I think too, um, let me make this bigger again so people can see that a little more clear. Um, <clears throat> but at the bottom here of that paragraph, the end of that paragraph, I should say, it says, this is to be continued to the end of the world, are these bishops uh -huh. or elders and deacons. Now, that's not saying um, that you don't, you, you, you never re can retire as a pastor or an elder within the church. I know many of uh, them do when they get to a certain age where they're unable to maybe perform some of those duties. Maybe they step down within, stay within the church and, you know, continue um, to live out their life serving uh, alongside and helping those other elders that come in. But, but this is referring to, this is God's means by which to be, it will be carried out until the end of the age, until the end of the, of the world. Uh, comes to that close. This is how the church is to operate. You're going to have men that have this inward call. It's going to be uh, seen by these uh, others within the church. They're going to recognize it, and they're going to uh, appoint this person. Now we're going to get into paragraph nine <clears throat> and understand some of the other uh, some of this as it's working out as well. It says the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit unto the office of bishop or elder in a church is that he be chosen thereunto by the common common suffrage of the church itself. So again, we've kind of already elaborated on that quite a bit in paragraph eight. And solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer. So it's it's not just making a hasty decision. They're really taking time. They're evaluating this, this individual. They're they're doing this by fasting and by prayer. Um, tr you know, calling upon the Lord. Um, and then it says, <clears throat> with imposition of hands of the eldership of the church, if there be any before constituted therein, uh, and of a deacon that he be chosen by the like suffrage uh, and set apart by prayer and the like imposition of hands. So it's this laying on of hands. It's this practice that we see uh, within churches. So maybe you've been in a church and you're like, what are they doing when they're laying hands upon someone that they're uh, called this called to be an elder pastor within the church? Um, and that's what they're doing. They're putting their approval upon this person. They're they're putting their their um, recognition upon this person that this person has been called. They have that internal call. We recognize it. Uh, we, we see that this person is gifted for teaching, gifted for preaching, gifted for uh, leading within the church. And so we're laying our hands upon him uh, and, and praying over him. And, and he then becomes an elder within the church if, it's, if they're laying hands on as an elder. And it also says with deacons as well, you're laying hands upon the deacons. Um, and, and you're praying over them and they become, the elders become an equal, as you said, even if they're not in the paid position, they're not like a, the bottom. It's not like in an organization or a, a, uh, uh, a business where they're at the bottom and then they got to work their way up the elder board. No, the elders are there. It's a multitude of, of wisdom within this, you know, many counselors. And so that's what is being referred to here is just laying on hands, this affirmation and praying for. Uh, this individual that is now being um, recognized before the church as uh, an elder. Yeah, and you see um, Acts 14, 23, that's where um, Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, are, they're, they have been set apart by the Spirit, their hands are being laid for their mission, um, be Paul's what we know as Paul's first missionary journey, but also consider, and I think this is important when we consider the distinct distinctives between a, the free church and Baptist and Presbyterianism or the Congregationalist, is that the church 
kind of has the vote. Now, the Presbyterians, the, the church does, in a sense, vote for their pastor. But there is and there's part of that, but that you can see a very congregationalist um, understanding, congregationalist as in the ecclesiology, that the church is making these decisions. The church is setting apart by fasting and prayer to become it. There's a sense that you kind of read it is that they're picking from someone from within. Mm -hmm. um, it's not maybe always the case and probably more so in 1689 than today. You don't have a lot of pastors traveling around to different churches. It happens, but it doesn't, it wasn't like a norm. And I think that there's something there with a church calling people from within their own congregation to be elders. But you see the, the seriousness of this. It's with fasting and prayer. They've put their hands on them by the other elders. This isn't a rash decision. I think we see this kind of today where like someone will come in and they'll preach a candidate sermon and this is how we do it. And then there's like a vote. Yeah. You really don't know. Now you hope the, the pastor search committee is done their work and they've vetted this person. But I mean, I had a friend, we've had him on the show, um, go to a church and a year and a half, just over a year, he's out. They didn't want him. That's a problem with Baptist ecclesiology. I'll admit that. Yeah, I agree. Um, but there's a sense in which he didn't really know the church. He knew a history of it, but he didn't really know it. He didn't know the people. And there's, so there's, there's wisdom there with pulling within your own congregation or having an interim. That's how my pastor became pastor. He was, he in, was an interim there. And then they, um, reached out with a call to come and be the pastor there. Yeah. And it's worked really well. And so these are kind of important issues to think about. And when I was in my ministry class, my professor, Dr. York was telling us, be wary of professional search committees that you're the professional, you're the minister. That's what you do. Um, not in kind of a domineering way, but understand, I mean, that's what you're trained to do. You're the minister, um, with it, but you need to ask like the hard questions to know it. And he gave us a tip to, um, ask a question like, what is the one thing you want to change? Want to see changed in this church and then pick the person who hasn't spoken the has what this person has spoken the least mm -hmm. and have them answer the question yeah. and then kind of go up from there into the, like the person who spoke the most to see what answers there are. And while I think it works in American context and we kind of have this interview style, I, I mean, raising up young men to be preachers and to, find gifted ones right. with passion is something, but it's more than just passion. Passions fade. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the importance of the prayer, the fasting and setting apart, which we probably don't do enough in our churches mm -hmm. when making these type of decisions. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think sometimes there are individuals that are hasty and they, they make quick decisions to, they want to have an elder, they want to have somebody else in a position to help them. And so they 
ordain right away the wrong individual who brings more problems to the table because they're not necessary they're not really called maybe by God um, <clears throat> which is was ultimately that first if you don't have that inward calling then maybe they just are seeking a title they're seeking fame they're seeking some type of notoriety you know um, and I've, I've seen that uh, and so <clears throat> I think a lot of people have seen those things we've seen it in many of these uh, big mega churches or these big uh, popular churches the ones that are not really preaching the gospel, but yet these people get into these positions. Um, but yeah, I think it's very important for that. And I think I think it does bring into question, and I know we do it, and you mentioned it's kind of bad ecclesiology within the, the Baptist Church's uh, model, um, and I can agree with you there on that. But it brings into question, why is it that our churches are not raising up from within men who are able to preach and teach. Now, I do understand, <clears throat> and I don't want to say that it can never work out if you seek to bring somebody in and they come from another state or they're coming from somewhere because they're seeking to pastor uh, a church and this is a church that's in need and you bring this person in and you have them preach a few times and you're like, yeah, I think we're going to bring this guy into candidate. We're going to ask the questions like you said. He's going to ask questions back. I'm not saying that that can't work, but it does bring into the question, why is there not more and more men from within the church is being raised up. Um, <clears throat> and maybe that's something that we really should consider as churches, you know, moving forward to try to uh, have that growth from within, because then you know the character of that individual. You see them as they're growing uh, from the different stages of their, their, their life and different stages of their walk with Christ. You know, you're getting to see that maturity take place. You're getting to see those gifts in action. It's not just somebody comes in and answers all the right questions that you think, oh, yeah, he'd be a great pastor, and you bring him in. Because I've seen it, too. I've seen some churches where guys get in there, and they're there for a year, and then they don't, for some reason, they thought it would be a great fit, but then they don't really fit their expectations. They're looking for somebody a little uh -huh. more charismatic, and this guy doesn't seem to be that charismatic. So let's remove him and find another guy to replace him. And then, like you said, then you yeah. get these professional, uh, what do you call them, search committees. Search committees where they're always searching for someone and then uh -huh. nobody's good enough for them. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I do think that brings up a lot of questions as to, you know, let's, let's try to see within churches, men raised up young men. And that, that could be another problem. Why are there, maybe there's no young men in your church. Um, uh, maybe you've got an older congregation. I know when I was, um, at one of the churches where I, I kind of grew up and then went back as a believer, it was an older congregation. We didn't have very many young people. I was one of the younger people within the church serving, and I was in my 30s. And so everybody else was like 50 and 60 and 70. So you don't really have young people within the church. So you have to search for a pastor outside that. You know what I mean? So those things do happen. But I don't know. Any more you want to add, or we'll move into to nine here and get. get yeah. Moving. I mean, I could talk all day. There's a lot to consider, you know. And I think the you know issues you brought up they're compounded they're related to other issues like a lack of theology a lack of development of theology and so you have i think you the churches have positioned themselves to not have the ability to watch young men and to teach them in a way that will capture their hearts i mean when you although the statistics are not correct but when you have so many of your high school students go to college and start renouncing their faith yeah there's that issue and i think that issue is related to why we don't see a lot of young men in the church um, people would probably blame seminaries i don't think seminaries are a problem and I think seminaries should be used wisely by a church yeah. to give the education of young men so that they know and they can come back and be better prepared because a pastor can't do all of that. And so there's, a, I think a lot of these issues are related to each other when we think about 
um, some of those issues regarding with not just not just young men, just having men who are adequate for eldership. Yeah. All right, so paragraph 10 here says, The work of pastors being constantly to attend the service of Christ in his churches, in the ministry of the word and prayer. That's very important, the ministry of the uh -huh. word and prayer, uh, with watching for their souls, <clears throat> excuse me, as they must give an account to him, uh, it is incumbent on the churches to whom they minister, and not only to give them all due respect, but also to communicate to them of all their good things according to their ability, um, so as they may have a comfortable supply uh, without being themselves entangled in secular affairs and may also be capable of exercising hospitality towards others. And this is required by the law of nature and by the express order of our Lord Jesus, who hath ordained that they that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And so this gets down to, number one, the pastor, the preacher, the elder, the, 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 the head, or the one that's not the head, but the one teaching or preaching pastor, um, that is spending his time in the ministry of the word and prayer. Uh, this is why we huh. see even in the scriptures in Acts where they were dedicating themselves to this. They didn't have time to wait on tables. They didn't have time to go and serve the needs of these widows, right? And so they appointed deacons to take care and handle those things so that they could spend time doing what? The ministry of the word and prayer. It does take time for pastors to get into the word of God each and every week to provide for uh, an expositional sermon each and every week to share what God's word is saying and teaching to his people. And, and then a time of spending in prayer, uh, in, in prayer ultimately for the, the, the preaching that he's going to be doing, the studying that he's doing and prayer for his people within that congregation um, that he is shepherding. So that's very important, but it also talks about in this paragraph providing for them so that they have the time to do that, that they can then have be able to show hospitality. You're providing for them financially, providing for other needs that they may have. Uh, and that's very important. And I think it's sometimes overlooked because there's so many charlatans out there that people always assume, like, why do we got to give the pastor money? Well, because the pastor needs to provide for his family as well. And if the pastor mm -hmm. is struggling to worry about providing for his family, he's not going to be able to attend to the ministry of the word and prayer to the same degree that somebody who does not have to worry about those responsibilities because it's, they know it's being provided for. Yeah. I think it to understand that the church provides for the pastor. So the pastor can feed their soul that he can do his work uncumbered. He can spend time ministering the word and prayer not only preparing for a Sunday, Sunday services or Wednesday services, but also for people who need him. Yeah. For people who are sick and need encouragement in their time. Now I preface that I think any elder should be able to do that. I know in America, we kind of like this. No, I want my pastor. And it's usually the preaching pastor. Mm -hmm. um, we need to change definitions. American problem. You should be excited when you're any elder comes to be there, whether it's your pastor, the one who preaches regularly or some other, well, you may also call pastor or elder with it. Cause that's their job. That's what they're to do. They're to minister. All elders are to be able to teach. It's mm -hmm. a requirement in 1 Timothy 3. And <clears throat> so that's their job, whether they're preaching every Sunday or they may be just teaching Sunday school faithfully. And that's how they serve in that way. But you see, yeah, the duty of the word and prayer and that they should be able to live comp 
they should be able to have a comfortable life. They shouldn't, as you said, worry about trying to find other streams of income so that their family can live. And I know it's been, it was a big deal one month or so ago about John MacArthur and an expensive watch and, and obviously churches have different budgets for their pastor and grace community pays him. Well, he also has book deals. Um, he also runs a college. He's able to do these things, but that's also part of this is like his church is providing for his comfort. And because of the size of the church, they're allowed to pay him more. And, you know, it's not like a pastor who keeps preaching on tithing because he gets like 20% of the offerings that come in and that's his paycheck. So there's an incentive to try to get more people to put money in the plate. Mm -hmm. The church together needs to decide what can we afford to give our pastor and to reward him for his work, for what he does, because he has to give an account on our souls that are under his care. Again, it's a duty that is very heavy. It is a burden that pastors have to carry weekend and week out. And even with this, just the encouragement. I mean, you hear stories where pastors just like were parishioners of a church. Well, like, well, that wasn't as good of a sermon as you did last time or kind of talk bad about the pastor because they don't like something he's done. I think here you see the churches to encourage, to communicate to the pastor with the things according to their ability to show honor to him as one who has been set apart by Christ to lead these people. And I think we have a lot to learn in the American church about how do we honor our pastors outside of four weeks in October during pastor appreciation month. Yeah. How do we show our care for a pastor? And one thing we did was on top of the standard kind of day days off, he gets a year. We let our pastor take a one month sabbatical. No contact with weird church. He had a little contact. There's some stuff he had to contact with one of our elders, but that was it. No one was to contact it. The, his wife got out of the, our women's Facebook messaging group so that she didn't, wasn't being bombarded with church affairs so they could mm -hmm. relax and be refreshed and be renewed. These are the things we need to consider about how can we help our pastor to do things better so he can minister to us with the word and prayer without feeling burnt out. Yeah. All right. So let's look at, um, kind of get back over here and make this a little bigger. Uh, paragraph 11. <clears throat> it says, Although it, it be incumbent on the bishops or pastors of the churches to be instant in preaching the word by way of office, yet the work of preaching the word is not so peculiarly uh, confined, yeah, pecu peculiarly, sorry, couldn't say the word, confined to them, but that others also gifted and fitted by the Holy Spirit for it and approved and called by the church may ought to perform it. And this is where with Reformed Baptists in the confession, we have gifted brothers. So those who are not called to the office of elder, they are not called to take upon that responsibility, but yet they are still gifted in preaching God's word. And so while they may not have the be ordained to that position, to that title, to serve the church in that way, they're gifted and able to preach. They're apt to they're able to do those things. And the church is still calling them to be in that position, not calling them and ordaining them as a elder within the church, 
but as one who is apt, able to preach and teach, they're gifted in that area. And so therefore the church is then recognizing it as well. And um, <clears throat> that's another thing that I think, um, yet I think you don't really see that in, uh, well, I, I can't really say you don't. I think there are even within independent, I was going to say you don't really see that in other churches other than Reformed Baptist churches, you know, because it fits our, our, um, uh, confession, but I think you would probably see that even though they may not call it that in some mm -hmm. independent fundamentalist Baptist churches, they have some young guy who's on fire and he, you know, they want to put him in there to preach. So you may still see that in some other churches, um, <clears throat> even though they wouldn't recognize it as that gifted brother, uh, as the confession states. Yeah. I think you see it a lot. Um, I mean, every once in a while they'll see a, I don't know if you see him. I see him every once in a while where you have, they have like a five-year-old kid, obviously not ordained into the ministry, yeah, no. um, <laughs> given a sermon um, for what it's worth. So, yeah, I don't think it's just not kind of maybe outside of the Catholic Church, maybe Anglican. Don't know much about like those. Just thinking about it, I don't think they do it. But like even in the Presbyterian Church, you don't have to necessarily be ordained, but you do have to be voted on by the elder board to have like a special guest kind of preach. And <clears throat> again, I think this is, as we kind of mentioned it earlier, this is one way how you know, is someone gifted to be an elder. They're given the opportunity to preach, to deliver the word of God. Obviously the church approves them um for that calling but there's still this movement with it and i think it also shows that um there's other offices within the church that these people may be they may be teachers but not elders like i teach in my sunday school but i'm not an elder on the board i don't make decisions and it allows people who may have the gifted ability to continue to bring the word especially if your you know pastor is sick or he's taking maybe not a sabbatical or taking a sabbatical or just taking some vacation time now you have people who can fill the pulpit so the pastor can be able to be refreshed and renewed and to get the breaks just like as we take vacations thus mm -hmm. in the the secular world and so again just allowing the provision that we see that others also have the gifts of teaching that the spirit has given to them for the church yeah yeah and i, I think that's a, a very important um aspect as you were saying there mike of allowing a pastor to, um, you know, have a time to where he can sit under some preaching or take a, a, a sabbatical, as you mentioned earlier, or there's other guys that can step up and fill the pulpit. Maybe, maybe the pastors, uh, something comes up because obviously we know this is life. Things happen all the times. Uh, somebody dies and the pastor has to go and comfort a, a family. Uh, or they have an emergency within their own family and they have to go out of town. Um, you have other men that are able to step up and fill that pulpit from within, within the church. You know, uh, it's very important. Um, and instead of having to try to find someone uh, whenever those, those situations to occur from outside the church to come over to your church to fill the pulpit when they're not familiar with your people, they're not familiar with what's all going on. You know what I mean? Not that you can't have a guest speaker come in and speak. That's not my point, you know, but you're having men within the church that can give some rest to the pastor, help uh, that the main preaching pastor, allow them to, um, you know, have the rest needed, uh, provided for. Um, and then you're also, again, you're building up those other men as well. Um, and that's what we're, we're speaking here is gifted brother. These aren't, these aren't pastors. These aren't elders. They may go on to become that. And then again, they may not, they may just be somebody that's gifted to preach, but is not called to that position. And there's somebody that can be used then to preach and teach 
within the church. Now, I think I'm going to call a, um, a stop here uh, because, I mean, just looking at number 12, I think we could probably go on the rest of the time with that. Um, but I think we could probably save that for a part three. And we'll, we, will, we will do a part three, I think, on this uh, because we only have 10 minutes left. And I think, uh, <clears throat> I think that would be good uh, to focus more of an entirety of a show uh, because this is a very important chapter. Uh, when we're talking about the local church, we're talking about the, the called out saints that are seen visibly within these local churches. We understand that there's going to be, even within the local church, the visible church, you're going to have believers and unbelievers. You're going to have people that aren't saved uh, within these local churches. But I don't think that should cause us to not be a part of a local church. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's one of the reasons why this is a very important topic and one of the reasons why I want to stop here uh, before we move on to the next couple paragraphs, because we here at G220 Radio with G220 Ministries believe very, very strongly in the local church. We believe very strongly in that the Bible affirms the fact that men and women that are believers in Christ should be connected to a local church. And so uh, <clears throat> we're going to just kind of end it there. So Mike, anything on what we've already covered or that you would want to add? Yeah. I think as we start kind of looking through it, getting into more of the weeds of Baptist ecclesiology, um, no ecclesiology is perfect. We try to be as biblical as we can. And the, and the Presbyterians would say the same thing. So I'm not, this is not like we're Baptists, we're right. Presbyterians are wrong. No, I do think that um, because I'm a Baptist, but we both are seeking to understand how God has organized his church and how that's to be played out. And what, what you don't see, I think is, is also telling you see the emphasis on prayer you see the emphasis on the word i would say that um scripture commands that we sing in churches that we read scripture not just hearing the word preached but actual reading of scripture um you have the ordinances also which will um we'll see in later chapters in more detail and you know god has appointed a day in which we are to go and worship on sunday <clears throat> and we've mentioned this but god hasn't told us you have to have a 1045 service on sunday that the confession allows for kind of freedoms within the rules this is what a church service looks like. It meets on Sunday. It has preaching, has reading, has prayer, and you sing to one another. But how you do those things and when you do those things or where you do those things, when as in what time of day, God hasn't spoken of. And that allows the kind of the freedom of the confession to be applied to churches in Africa who have different style of music, who have different styles of instruments. They don't have pianos and organs. They may have four hour long services. God doesn't tell us that you only have one hour to do everything in your worship service. That's an American thing. Yeah. And absolutely probably a Western is. thing. And I think and that's to recognize just the freedom we have to be able to worship the way God has told us we can worship. We have confounds. There's things that we have to do. But he's also given us. I think sometimes people see Southern or see Baptists, especially when you consider, yes, it has to be on the Lord's Day. 
And if you go as far as Mark Devon say, well, you only should have one service on the Lord's Day because if you have multiple services, you essentially have different churches because you have people that may never know they go to the same church. I've heard it at seminary. People was like, yeah, I attend Emmanuel, which is a local church here in Louisville. And though someone says like, oh, yeah, I do too. I've never seen you there. It's like, yeah, we go to the early morning. I was like, oh, yeah, we tend to go to the later morning service. And they don't mm -hmm. see each other. They don't interact. And you have these separate churches. A lot of these questions we think of and with wisdom, and I think there's wisdom of having one church that meets together at one particular time. Yeah, I agree. But there's freedoms in that. Mm -hmm. And I think when we think of worship wars and whether we should have contemporary or should we do the old hymns, which Baptist means anything um, after 1950, but before 1801 or anything after 1801, but before 1950. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, being Presbyterian, we know old hymns go farther back to Luther. Um, but just, <clears throat> but there, there are those freedoms there. And I think if we understand that issues in the church go down, I think there is something to be said of finding a church you feel comfortable worshiping in. Now they should have the basics, good preaching, prayer, reading your scripture. But then when it comes to song preference, there is freedoms you don't and i get it i don't like contemporary christian music i think it's shallow ricky shares similar sentiments that i have mm -hmm. reckless love is not a song i want to be singing on a sunday morning sovereign love i'd be willing to sing and but does does it matter now um dr peter masters at the Metropolitan Tabernacle probably disagree with me that, but I do think um, there is some freedoms that we can have. And, um, you know, you don't need to cause an upworld because they start singing songs that were made after 1950. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so much more we could get into. I know uh, we can go on some rants, too, because there are preferences that we have that we do believe are uh, essential. No, just kidding. But like not singing enough psalms. I'm telling you, we need to sing more psalms, not yeah. psalm exclusive. Right. I, I, I would agree with that, too. I mean, that's why I said we could get into a lot of different kind of directions we could go with uh, dealing with how the church should operate. Um, but I do think that what we're all trying to do, Baptists are trying to do, uh, you know, Reformed Baptists seek to do through the confession and, and, and through the regulative principle. So would uh, um, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters uh, through the regulative principle as well is trying to be biblical about our worship. But understanding this kind of came up today. I was speaking to a Muslim at Cleveland State and he was trying, he kept trying to tell me that I need to understand people's cultural differences before I can actually engage with them. And then he said, well, what about you guys as Christians? You've got different Christians over in other countries and things, and they have a, a different way of doing things. You have a different way. And I, I said the same thing, Mike, that you were saying, there may be a difference in our culture. And that may look differently, like the way Christians dress when they go to church on a Sunday here in America, as opposed to the way Christians dress in Africa or in Egypt or in Germany or in another place. They may sing differently in the way that they structure their or have their songs within the worship. But the one thing they're all going to agree upon is the essentials of the faith. There's going to be unity in those in, in that. So while they're they're working out of worship, while there may be disagreements about things that are non-essential, not that they don't matter, but that are non-essential. But when it comes to the essential, we're going to have unity there. Otherwise, we're not Christians. Right. But you are going to see some differences. Culturally, there's going to be differences between a church in Africa and a church in, in America. Right. It's just that's the nature of being in a different culture and adding those things. That's the beauty of Christ, that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will 
be together worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're in that universal church that gathers together in the presence of the Lord uh, in all of eternity. Uh, and it's going to be perfect worship. Perfect, you know. Um, <clears throat> but you're going to see these different cultural things here on this side of eternity. And uh, we got to be able to allow room for that. And as Mike said, there's that freedom. Uh, but that's been G220 Radio for tonight. We have, uh, that's why I knew there was no way we was going to get through the rest of that as we started to go there. I was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to make it. Um, but next week, Steve Christie will be on the show. We're going to be talking about his book. We're going to be talking about uh, the Old Testament canon and the Apocrypha because I think that's important. Ooh. We're seeing that kind of on the rise, not just with Roman Catholics, but uh, Hebrew Israelites hold to the Apocrypha. Um, but let's try to get some understanding of that next week with uh, Steve Christie on the program. Uh, tune in again next week, G220 Radio at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you share. Make sure you like this video, whether it's on Facebook, on YouTube, wherever you're watching it. Share with your friends. Let them know all about G220 Radio because we have started 501 episodes right here. It's like we're starting all over, uh, <laughs> sort of. But <clears throat> 500 in. But that's been the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, God bless and good night.